0: with a $1.3 trillion, 2,232-page omnibus spending package signed by Trump. uh, We're all screwed. So today, we are drinking Screwdrivers. I'm Tiana Lowe.
1: And I'm Avery Hogarth. Sit down and have a drink with us. After two weeks of chaos at the Capitol and beyond, you'll need it. And today, we're also accompanied by Elliot Hamilton.
2: Hi, I'm Elliot Hamilton. I am a staff writer for The Daily Wire, and I'm happy to be here. Sit down, have a drink with us. We're going to need it. There's a lot to talk about.
0: Okay, so I mean the news that's on everyone's mind is this uh, spending bill. So in short, there's a 13% increase in discretionary spending. Um, it, it increases, it's the biggest pay increase for the military in almost a decade. There's a little bit of, there's a small fraction of Trump's wall funding. Sanctuary cities city stay funded. Planned Parenthood keeps, I think it's $500 million in funding. Uh, DACA is not protected. There was no DACA deal that made it to the spend, to the spending bill. I think that this was a colossal bipartisan disappointment.
1: Um, but I am curious to uh, hear what you guys think. Oh yeah, how about you go ahead on this one?
2: Especially from a GOP House, a GOP Senate, and a Republican, supposedly in the White House. You would think that the party of fiscal responsibility, quote unquote, would get their butts together when it came to issues of discretionary spending. But instead, it decided to thrust this $1.3 trillion monolith into our budget. A lot – there's not a lot of good stuff in there. The only thing that I like about it is that the Taylor Force Act was placed in this omnibus bill, and that cuts the funding for the Palestinian Authority, which is great. But the problem is is that everything else that is included in there, a lot of it is just very discretionary spending that Trump was specifically elected not to allow happen again. And unfortunately, the same party, the GOP – ran on this fiscal conservative mindset, this is what the Tea Party had promised, this is what the House Freedom Caucus promised, and then all of a sudden they just crapped the bed. And now we're spending all this money. I think part of it is that the establishment in the Republican Party are is a bunch of cowards. And I think that they, are a, they were very afraid about the possibility that if another shutdown happened, it would hamper the Republicans again. Trump probably thought the same thing. And instead of just allowing an actual fight to the finish on this particular ominous package, that they would have had something that instead of having something to throw butt at the Republicans once again, they just said, OK, we're just going to agree to this. End of story, and that's the end of it. And Trump was going out there saying that he doesn't want to have any of these bills happen again, but history, unfortunately, is not very kind to all of us. And the, th- and the problem that we're going to see down the road is that the Republicans have a very, very high wall to climb in order for them to even maintain the House to begin with. So, unfortunately, I think the Republicans shot themselves in the foot by have by. Crapping the bed and breaking the promise that they end up making to fiscal conservatives And now I don't believe that the Republicans have any real standing to really say We have a good that we are the right party in power. We should be we should remain in power, etc I think the Democrats have way too much Headwinds going in their direction at this point and it's going to be a bloodbath one way or the other
0: Yeah, and like my thing is okay, so one Why is it always a loss whenever Republicans shut down the government? I mean, it was a loss when Ted Cruz shut down the government. Or it was viewed as like, oh, it's like a major political loss when Ted Cruz shut down the government. Because it was in opposition to Obama, and technically Obama won. Why are Republicans so scared of just letting the government shut down to actually get something done? I, I mean, Trump shut himself, down under
1: Obama, too, so... I mean,
0: like, Trump himself excoriated the bill this morning. He said that he was crazy. He said he'd never sign another bill like this again. He said nobody read it. It's only hours old. Does he not realize that he's the president of the freaking United States? He has veto power? <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I think, like, everything about, like... This was totally avoidable, but I I I totally agree with you, Elliot, that this is just like Democrats not having or this is just Republicans not having any any courage or any ability to do something that's a little bit hard in terms of in the name of fiscal conservatism. And then and then Avery, I'm curious. So Paul Ryan went to the Democrats and basically said if you give us three years of wall funding, we'll give you three years of extended DACA protection. That way, if the courts do so decide that DACA will that it, that DACA is unconstitutional and Trump's ICE decides to deport everyone from DACA, they could be protected for three years when, hypothetically, Democrats could take back the House or the Senate. And Democrats rejected that deal and now there's wall funding anyways and no DACA protection. What's your take on that?
1: Yeah, well, it's definitely interesting to me, and I feel slightly conflicted. But I also, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated with the Democratic Party because you can't call yourselves or market yourselves as the party that is supporting dreamers and immigrants if you've had times where you've brought Republicans to the table to have a meaningful discussion on this and, and reach uh, an amicable conclusion, and you just really haven't. your hand across the finish line and decided to go for the handshake and so when those opportunities have presented themselves and when democrats have almost blatantly decided to turn their backs on those opportunities to come to some sort of agreement that's that's troubling for the dreamers and i don't necessarily know if the dreamers can continue to look to democrats for support it seems as though in this instance democrats put a wall which could be defunded when another administration comes in. They put this wall ahead of the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, I understand the issue though with the proposed twenty five billion as the kind of counteroffer uh, for for Democrats to have to swallow in order to get this protection for the Dreamers. Although, you know, at the same time that legislation can be reversed with an- another administration. Although. Again, no one wants to be spending money where it doesn't need to be spent. So I understand the Democrat side of the argument. But if you look at the livelihood of hundreds of thousands of people versus $25 billion in spending, I think for me, I would have made probably a different decision in favor of the dreamers. Elliot, how do you feel about this?
2: Um, I thought DACO and DAPA were, unconst- were unconstitutional from the very beginning. I have no problem with this idea that the that these prosecutorial discretionary policies that were implemented under DHS that just specifically protected a certain subset of the population of illegal aliens and protecting them from removal proceedings as well as giving them additional work permits that would work authorizations that would have allowed them to stay was completely and utterly outside of the scope of the executive branch the first part about it that the first part of regarding prosecutor discretion i'm again i've written about this i'm completely and categorically against the idea that a, a law enforcement body can at the federal level can just ha- uphold this blanket policy ignoring federal law in order to promulgate policies that should otherwise be implemented by congress so i'm i have no problem with DACA being gone. I also have no problem with DAPA being gone. I think the problem that we're seeing here is that you have a lot of individuals who are in limbo, who were given, who were given these unconstitutional protections, who are, who no longer have them. And now there is this very weird balancing act that a lot of these young individuals have to deal with where now they are eligible to be removed by DHS and ICE and They had all these promises that were implemented by both by the Democrats and then the Democrats just as Avery said crap the bed and not trying their level best to reach a compromise because in my view the Democrats are more interested in having an open borders policy as opposed to strengthening the border and making sure that there are actual systems in place at the border that ensure that those who try to enter into the country have some sort of system and mechanism to to go back if they can go back to their countries as need be, and there isn't as much of an open pro- as much of an open process as there could be in terms of allowing certain individuals to come into the to the country that would be beneficial to our economy. I think the immigration system is screwed up in a lot of different ways for that reason, and there was no compromise being made. Trump tried his best, and I believe for very questionable rationales to try to fix the DACA issue and address it and try to bring the dreamers in. But unfortunately, the Democrats were more interested in politicking and trying to use the DACA issue as a club and try to run their policy on protecting DACA and shutting down the government because of DACA rather than reaching across the aisle and trying to find something to be done about it. So it's a terrible situation one way or the other. I um, I have sympathy and empathy for those who are, stuck in, who are stuck in there, but the rule of law is important. And I think it's good that finally the rule of law is starting to be upheld, especially on the issue of immigration.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting because I think if you're going to look at kind of an immigration policy that could be beneficial and agreeable on both sides, it, it would be increasing border wall and strengthening the border wall and increasing spending in that regard, but then protecting the dreamers who are kind of already here. Because from the Republican standpoint, obviously, even yourself who maybe believes that this legislation shouldn't have been implemented in the first place, if you look at, okay, well, it really shouldn't have been implemented, but it is, it it was, so what do we do now? Would you rather have these people as illegal aliens in the country who are now not paying income tax and not trackable and then have to use government funds to, you know, hopefully deport some of them because you're never going to get all of them? Or would you rather just say, wow, that really shouldn't have happened, but let's at least make sure that we're able to track them, make sure that they're paying taxes, make sure that We're able to keep a watchful eye over these people and then strengthen the border and make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again, rather than this kind of approach that doesn't really help anyone by not helping the dreamers and not strengthening the border.
2: I think the problem with amnesty, which is essentially one of the policies that the Democrats really tried implementing with that was that here you have a very it it goes back to the issue of prosecutorial discretion and having these overarching policies that why is it so that a certain subset of the population—it's estimated that there's about 12 million illegal aliens in the in the United States—and then you're going to take a subset of that population that fit a specific set of criteria, and you're going to single them out specifically for an amnesty program? Well, in that case, that that leads down the argument that. Okay, so in some circumstances, upholding the law and one upholding the law in some is a lot more important than upholding the law otherwise. It's the same argument that you would make in terms of drug laws. That that one of the one of the critiques of Black Lives Matter is the issue of powder cocaine and crack cocaine and how there's different that they're in different subclasses of the Controlled Substances Act, and then therefore. There's different em- enforcement and there's different mandatory minimums for possession and distribution. Well, why is it so that? Well, one of the arguments that they end up making is why is it in that circumstance cocaine is still cocaine, and you have different laws and different and different circumstances that are upheld when it comes to the distribution, the possession of it. Why not just have something just have singularity and uniformity across the lines? So and make that a lot easier and not have this kind of disparity that could have a disparate impact on, on low income populations. So the issue here is why is it, it's just, I just don't see a benefit in giving the dreamers specific and specific protections when the ultimate goal, as you just pointed out, is to enforce the law. And I think the law definitely needs to be enforced and I think. And because of that, that's why you saw a lot of the Republicans pushing back against what a lot of the Democrats were saying about trying to have some exceptions to the to the dreamers, because their ultimate goal is that if you have amnesty for this specific group of people and then you have a blanket amnesty program for these this particular subset of the population, then you can kick the can down the road in another instance where there could be another wave of illegal immigration without border protection because that's usually how the how the how the process has gone for the last couple of years and you'd run into the same program again and again and again and history has not been very kind to us about what happens when you have some blanket amnesty programs going th- forward and then they say just give amnesty to this subset of the population we won't ask it ask for it again and then they do it again and again and again and I don't think that pattern should be repeated. I think at some point, you just need to draw the red line and say, this is the line that I'm not going to cross. And I think the Republicans were correct in doing so.
1: Yeah, that's understandable. Definitely, there reaches a point where it becomes, you know, where do we draw the line? However, I think in some instances, it is important to note that circumstance does play a role and does matter. I mean, when you're looking at a four-year-old who could have been brought into this country unknowingly, Did they really commit a crime when they had no say in the manner? But again, obviously, you set kind of a dangerous precedent with these blanket amnesty policies. But although I would like to know your take even on the TPP program, which was enacted in the Bush administration, because similar forms of amnesty given circumstance were allowed under those programs as well.
2: I think, generally speaking, when Reagan was wrong to do it in 86, Bush, Bush, the second Bush was wrong to do it then. I think the problem is that if you want to run as the, at least from the policy standpoint, from the political standpoint, if you want to run as the party of rule of law, then uphold the rule of law. And I think that the problem is that when you try to carve out certain exceptions because it would, because it tugs on the heartstrings, that doesn't necessarily... By bode well down the road because you can come up with any subset of the population and have some sort of uh, like lack of a better word, a sob story that comes along with certain groups of people who have been placed in unfortunate circumstances, who ha- who, like you said with the 4-year-old who came across the border and his parent and their parents were the ones who ended up taking the act and they were just dragged along with them of course you look at the situation like that and you, and you ask yourself well they didn't have as much agency in that in that situation but does that mean that but at the same time it doesn't negate the fact that in the that their parents in the fur- in the furtherance of this act dragged not only themselves, but also their children into this really unfortunate situation as well. And I think that put carving out that carving that, that exception, like I said, it creates a very slippery slope and it's a very, and like I said, unfortunate circumstance, but I'm not willing to budge when I say you have to be able to uphold the law in in this way. That doesn't mean for that matter. That I should go out there and try to deport, and really try to spend all this additional money deporting all 12 million illegal immigrants. That's going to be very difficult on it, like financially and practically. So, there is this policy where where the DHS and the DOJ has cracked down specifically on the criminal illegal immigrants who have who have criminal convictions and have been staying in these sanctuary cities. And that's where ICE is dedicating much of their attention to. And I think that's fine. I think that's a much better policy, a lot more feasible of, of a policy. So that's just my view.
0: And then, okay, I, I think that also this sort of harkens back to this this question that you asked earlier about, like, what do Democrats really want? Because so much of the spending bill is a frickin' Rorschach test. You know, $500 million is not that much money in the grand scheme of, of, of a federal budget. But still, why is it going to Planned Parenthood? For the wall funding, so it's $1.6 billion for border security. And only $641 million of that can go to not even a wall, but a fence the The provision explicitly prohibits building any sort of cron- concrete structure or like real wall prototype. How exactly do you think
1: a fence is going to be?
0: Thirty three miles of a fence with, and then the rest of the funding has to just go to technology and drones, which probably does more for border security than an actual wall. But, but Trump really wants his wall. He is the president. It's not that much of a tall order. I mean, I think it's a waste of money, but like, I think like if you're willing to be cutting fast and loose with like the paychecks anyway, like it's it's just why is there so much resistance to a physical wall? You know, like like they won't save DACA, but they won't fund the wall. Like I think he shoots himself know.
1: in the foot by marketing it as the wall, though, because as you said, very little of that is going to an actual wall. Well, so wouldn't but, it but be better in regards- his favor, even with Democrats and even general rapport from the public? Wouldn't it play better just says we're, to strengthen but, border okay, security? He's Trump is
0: Trumpy. It's it's a feature. It's not a bug. Trump says stuff in the most inflammatory way possible, and it's why he has such an ardent following, and it's why he has so many haters. So my thing is that if Democrats could theoretically get everything they claim to want, why wouldn't they just fund a proper wall? Why do, why does it have to be a fence? A fence instead of a wall. Like how does that change anything? Um, but I, I I do think that. That it does raise this greater question of what is the end goal for Democrats, and like in good faith, I want to assume that what they're saying is true, that that they literally just care about the Dreamers and that they still believe that we are a closed border country. But honestly, like from what they're doing, it just don't, like what they're doing is not necessarily benefiting the Dreamers. It is benefiting a long term goal of of opening up our borders to anyone.
1: Well, I think what they're doing and what they think what they're doing is doing is serving to give a resume to their base and to potential voters in in 2018 and in 2020 <laughs> that we, we have been fighting this entire time for dreamers we are the party who are going to protect the people who don't have a voice and the immigrants but i think the irony to that is it might be doing the exact opposite yeah. the longer they wait to make a resolution and so i think <laughs> that, the, that, the, that the strategy the strategy, the strategy, the strategy is just way off and I. in that put down your arms, let's stop fighting, let's come to an agreement, because the longer we wait, the more people lose status for the people that you're supposedly yeah. fighting for.
0: Yeah, and then I guess, as, as a final note, just because, honestly, the spending bill is just depressing me, and nothing about this is beneficial. Uh, as a final note, all hail our future president, Cardi B. So I believe she posted it <laughs> to her Instagram, which is, been her Instagram has been prolific for a very long time, back in the days when she was just like a stripper in New York. And now she's you know this she's what the she's the top female rapper since Lauren Hill in terms of Billboard rankings and uh, downloads. First one um, to
1: get a number one on top charts. Yeah, I think it was and Billboard. And now she was a huge Steve yeah. Madden deal too. No,
0: and now and now most importantly, she is the most conservative. Like she she's she's more conservative. Than, than half of the GOP Congress. So, she came out with this fairly long tirade about tax policy, and she says, when you donate to a kid in a foreign country, they give you updates on what they're doing with your donation. I want updates on my tax money. There's still rats on the damn trains. I know y'all not spending it on no damn prison, because y'all be giving it, giving N-word, like, two underwears, one jumpsuit for five months. So what is and we're doing with my effing money? And Uncle, and then she goes on to finally end it with Uncle Sam. I want to know what you're doing what you're effing doing with my mother effing money. Okay, honestly, this is the best case for fiscal conservatism. Like Paul Ryan should just be resharing this video clip over and over and over again because more people need to be thinking like Cardi B. If Cardi B is has been this wildly successful person pays forty percent of her income in taxes, which means that she's not committing tax evasion, which a lot of celebrities do. So I actually really respect that. Um. And you see it's going still. You voted for people who said that I will defund Planned Parenthood. And Elliot, as you said, we have a Republican House, we have a Republican Senate, we have a so-called Republican president. Why is Planned Parenthood still being funded? Why are all
1: these things that these people ran on still being funded? Credit to the Democrats, despite not having the House and Senate. they're (laughs) Still getting
0: everything you want. They're
1: kind of getting a lot of things that they would want.
2: (laughs) So pathetic. It's so pathetic. I like... You would think that when you have – when you have the mandate, which he has, that you go hard in the paint going after every single damn thing that you want. The Democrats did that in, from between 2008 and 2010, whether, whether it was the ridiculous stimulus package and Obamacare and – the only thing that the Republicans have to offer on this one is the, tax, uh, is the tax bill. OK, that's good. The federal judiciary. OK, that's also good. But after that, you're giving money to Planned Parenthood. You are – you're still funding these sanctuary cities. And you're giving so much more credence to this idea that, the, that United States money – should be going to foreign nations, especially foreign nations that have zero interest in our national security. And you think that in all of this that the Republicans would be more careful about cleaning shop and and cleaning out the bill and saying, "Okay, so this is useless. This is useless. This is a complete waste of money. Okay, this is beneficial. This is benefit. You would think that they would at least be able to mark everything down. Rand Paul had no problem doing that. He used his Twitter to make fun of this of the ridiculousness of this bill. But the problem is is that the Republicans for some reason they would rather play they would rather play along to get along because they know that they're unpopular and they know that they have that they have so much to lose come November that they're so willing to roll in the air and piss on themselves if it means that they don't get destroyed more so in the in the midterms, than they're most likely going to get, and I think that there comes a time when you have to play hardball and say, "I have to represent my base. I need to energize my base." And what they just did is going to allow people to say, "You know what? I don't want to vote. I don't want to vote for you scumbags anymore. I'm just going to stay home." And this is and this is exactly the crap sandwich that you deserved. And I don't. Bl- I would not blame those in, in the Rust Belt. To, who did vote for Trump to allow Connor Lambs to run train all over Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Ohio, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin. I wouldn't care because that's exactly what they deserve. And it's pathetic.
1: I wonder if the strategy is to not rally the base and instead try to almost appear more moderate to get those on their side who are becoming increasingly polarized against Republicans. So I wonder if the funding of Planned Parenthood, which of course I'm not in opposition of, I wonder if the funding of Planned Parenthood is a bit of a bone to the people who are moderates, but like the tax bill, but on other cases are more socially liberal, a, a bone to them to say, hey, look, like we can we can pass legislation that's in your interest too.
0: I mean, this whole thing is, I, I like. Clearly there was some sort of intention For a strategy But it just goes to show the fundamental flaw With having this One and all omnibus spending package Rather than funding each department separately Is that everyone's trying to throw their guy a bone Everyone is trying to earmark Everyone is trying to pass Christmas tree legislation In order to feed to their base And you wind up with this disastrous bill That gets actually nothing done
1: Well I just don't understand with in the recent administration, why have bills been just so ginormous where no one can read them i mean why this, hasn't there th- been anything been tr- that's just succinct, been true for the, succinct and small past because there's
0: been, this has been true for like the last 2 decades you know i mean yeah. this happened every year in the obama administration i mean he blew out spending i mean so this is nothing new and i think like i i forget who wrote this earlier today but someone said this is the continuation of bush's third term which brings us to our our, our, our our next topic of conversation, which is is this Bill Clinton's third term, but I mean, this is really the worst of what I think I hate about Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, but now to, uh, you know, uh, what CNN surely thinks is the most pressing issue on everyone's minds. <laughs>
1: Stormy Daniels, the president and the porn star. I'm surprised she survived more than one news cycle. Like, she's kept her name in in the news ever since. It's,
0: okay, so the issue here is not necessarily the relationship. Because, honestly, the idea that Trump is a philanderer is, that was baked into the cake. People knew that. That's what he was famous for. I think that now, the reason why it stayed newsworthy is because it's been Trump shutting, trying... Trump taking legal action against a civilian to try and shut down a story. But again, this is nothing different than what Bill Clinton did. Um, but I and, and and I guess we'll get to the media coverage of this after. But Elliot, do you think this is a story worth paying attention to?
2: I think yes and no. No, insofar as that this is just another this is just another instance of Trump getting him like sticking his foot in his mouth and then taking it out, thinking that if he opens his mouth, that things are going to get a lot better. And no, so I think that the problem is is that it should really be a nothing burger story for the reason that you stated. We all knew that Trump was this philanderer; that he was not—he's not always been a faithful husband to any of his wives, and that's just how it's been. And I think, to an extent, yes, this is important for because. I think it's always unfortunate and rather disturbing when you have a individual in a position of power, in this case, the president of the United States, trying to gag, for lack of a better word, a porn star for trying to speak out on on an alleged affair or relationship that they ended up having. It's just bad optics, and I don't think that this is going to be the... Coup de grass that gets to Trump, but I think it's just one of those things that's just gonna be a thorn in his side and it's going to make him more erratic, irrational than he already is. And it's something to and whatever happens throughout this process is something to pay attention to and not only that, how he how this entire Michigas is going to play out for weeks and months and maybe a couple of years to come.
0: And then one of the issues with Trump's Twitter account is that when he rails against every thought he has while he's on the toilet, his silence is just as telling as when he speaks. So the fact that he hasn't been coming out saying this woman is categorically lying, these are all false, She, I'm suing her because I don't want her to be spreading lies about me, the fact that he's not saying that just shows how true the story is. You know, and 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 I get that optically he can't just say, yeah, you know, I serially cheat on my wife. Suck it. I don't care. Let's just move on. I mean, like, the truth would set him free, but it would also obviously optically be not great to know that, yet again, we have a first lady who is serially cheated on. Um, I don't know. I, I just think, though, it's, it's just dangerous territory on, it's, it's almost like this game of Russian roulette, where it's like, who does, who will this damage more, the so-called resistance or Trump? Because again, baked into the cake, we already knew about this. But could these, could these series of small incidents, incidences, like pile on in the same way they piled on for Bill Clinton? You know, like, like you had uh, Kathleen Willey, you had Paula Jones, uh, you had Jennifer Flowers, and individually, these were just, you know, incidences between like disputes, legal disputes, some consensual, some questionably non-consensual, but add it all together, it's a pretty damning indictment of Bill Clinton. Add it all together, is this a pretty damning indictment of Donald Trump?
1: I think it's different because, you know, the main case, Monica Lewinsky, that happened in the White House, and this, of course, did not, and I think that's an important distinction when trying to make a case against Donald Trump that, would impede his presidency uh i don't think the two bill clinton and donald trump are similar in that regard or comparable wait so, so you're saying
0: you think like the bill clinton thing is worse
1: i would say no i would never i i wouldn't say it's worse or better but i would say with the bill clinton thing you know obviously there was a case to be made for impeachment you know not very great behavior to be done in the white house in which you were elected into by the people um that kind of stomps on america and is kind of like nephew to america in a way uh trump obviously did this before his presidency and the thing is we knew what we were getting into with trump beforehand and i don't think it's funny because i don't think trump's indiscretions in this regard and when they come out really hurt his reputation as much as Uh, more of his political stances do with a lot of people which is kind of funny so in terms of himself as a human being and his own personal integrity and his personal matters in life i think people are a lot less concerned with that on the whole actually to completely vilify him for that because we know who he is
0: yeah and uh, like to that point it's just if if trump if Trump were to do something that made him further corruptible, you know, or further uh, more susceptible to blackmail, if that was Trump's like sexual proclivities, like I would, I would understand why, why, why this would have wall to wall coverage on CNN. But if, if it's just information that has been on the cover of the New York post since the late eighties, why is this news?
2: I agree. I think the problem is, is that with Clinton, like you heard a lot of the rumors with Clinton, with Broderick and everyone else, but the fact pattern with Monica Lewinsky and everything else that came with it was a shock to the conscience in a lot of ways, for better or for worse. And I think that the problem was that when it came when it comes to Trump, this is same shit, different day. And when you keep on tacking on this same shit different day mentality when you're looking at something that we all knew or should have known, then nobody's really going to treat it as as the bombshell that it may otherwise be. And I think that's really just the way to, to look at it. And as I said, what I would distinguish this from is just the manner in which Trump's silence and and his words have on this issue, or lack thereof, tell a very, very big story about this ultimately, and just at what length someone is willing to go in order to shut this whole entire thing up. And not only th- and not only that, the fact that this has gone on longer than, this has gone on a lot longer than the 2005 Access Hollywood tape. I'd like to, like, I'm pretty sure that that is pretty accurate is kind of telling about how the media is trying so, so hard and make this stick and have it continue to happen and make it relevant because that's the other aspect of it. The media is trying to do everything in its power to try to milk the story dry at the expense of other big stories that are going on in the United States and in the world today. And I think this is mostly a CNN problem. Because CNN doesn't have any integrity.
0: Mostly a CNN problem. Oh my, no. I mean, it's definitely. And then again, like, I mean, there's so many. We need to have just like a straight up just conversation about the media and like the role of like the Fourth Estate episode. But it just it's it's just insane because I'll sometimes just be doing work at an undisclosed location in Los Angeles that just plays all three major news like cable news channels all day long. And I'll, like, have CNN on, and I'll be there for hours, just working on papers, whatever. And it'll be, like, the lead with Jake Tapper, and it's all, like, very pertinent information to the average American voter. It's stuff about the spending bill. It's stuff about, um, you know, like, stuff that's happening from from foreign affairs, wars, appointments. Sure, like, obviously the president's scandals matter, and, like, it's touched upon. But then as you devolve into primetime... It devolves into just this conversation, just about like, like this. Like, I think, I think the, I think the caption, um, or the headline that they kept for two hours, like on, when was this? Tuesday was the president, the porn star, and the playmate. And they kept this on for two hours. And I just don't think this is a two hour long primetime story. And again, you see like the same thing on Fox News when you have on, um, when you have Dana Perino, uh, when you have Brett Bear, or any of those guys, the stories are very real. And then you devolve into the primetime hour. And not that they're fake stories, it's just, and like, and again, the porn star story is not, not a story, it's just, is it two hours worth of coverage? Well, it's you also know?
1: more threatening the fact that that comes on during primetime when the majority of people are watching CNN or Fox News, because that's not what people should be seeing and what voters should be seeing it doesn't make people more educated it doesn't make people better voters and it's kind of just bs at this point this does that deserve to be a two-hour headline on primetime cnn two months after this whole stormy daniels allegation these whole Storm stormy daniels allegations came out yeah absolutely not and the thing is cnn and other left-wing media um outlets should should know better than to think that this story is going to get them much traction or any more quick bait, yeah. quick bait quick bait or do anything to hurt the president's approval ratings because I can guarantee you this isn't what is bringing Trump down in the polls. Yeah. Uh, people know this on on the right and on the left. And so if you wanted to hurt the Trump administration and and wanted to run a 2-hour scandalous news headline the only way that would really be impactful is if, like, it was on Mike Pence cheating on his wife, because people don't see that coming. It's not baked into the cake. <laughs> no, no,
0: no. And it's it's sort of, I know that, like, Nate Silver and the writers at Five Thirty Eight, who I all think are extremely intelligent, and definitely a source that I hope all of our listeners already read. So I know that they would attribute a lot of the reason why Hillary lost to the coverage of her emails. And they'll always point to the idea of, like, like, the photo of Hillary and Huma Abedin was above the fold, you know, and, like, it was just blown over. It was blown up how scandalous her emails were. I think the, what, $2 billion worth of free cable news coverage that Trump got from CNN, they would just air empty podiums waiting for him to go up and speak. That did a lot more to increase Trump's chances of winning than any New York Times article about Hillary's emails. And I do think there needs to be this conversation about How people's media diets, you know, and this is something we aren't even touching on, the Cambridge Analytica thing this week, but everyone's so quick to say, oh, it's just Facebook's fault. Facebook needs to protect us. Do people need to start being more discriminated about how they consume their news? Because is watching two hours of coverage of an affair that Trump had with a porn star 10 years ago, I'm sorry, allegedly had, you know, allegedly had with a porn star 10 years ago, is that worth two hours of your time? Or are you, or would you... Be much better served by seeing what's in this two thousand page spending bill. I don't know. It's just I think it's just a massive indictment of of the the falling of the dignity of the Oval Office. I think the monetary design of the news and how views and clicks are more important than than the less glamorous, less sexy, so to speak, aspects of governing. Um, I don't know. And then also
1: individuals' consumption habits. I think in a perfect world, you would obviously want the institutions and companies and corporations to hold themselves to a higher standard. But at the end of the day, you can't point the finger at Facebook or CNN, oh, you should have protected us. You shouldn't have spread this propaganda. You need to point the finger at yourself and say, well, what am I going to digest on a daily basis in terms of news coverage? And what am I going to determined to be true and false and that's a hard onus to place upon the average person although it's one that is becoming more and more necessary i think when you see places that used to be credible like cnn turning more into an e news at primetime hour
2: i completely agree with avery it's it's too full i think the there is should be an expectation that that these news, that the news media needs to like they recognize that the press is, is foundational to the United States. There's an amendment that protects their freedoms 100% of the way, and I think what happens is that when you have a when you have a front, when you have an entire enterprise that has this absolute protection, and they're moving forward with whatever agendas they want, then they're abusing the freedom that they have in order to promulgate an agenda especially if it helps their bottom line. And at that point what is what should be important when it comes to the media and to journalism which is telling the truth as it as it is as opposed to like telling your side of the story as you, as you want to see it and as as what your you want your audience to see it that causes it can that that's just a breakdown of journalistic ethics, and unfortunately, a lot of journalistic enterprises are more oriented toward not just telling the telling the news, but giving their own spin to it. And I think that we can all we can all argue that we're that Tiana and I are part of the are a little bit part of the problem in the sense that we're conservative leaning. We work for conservative leaning outlets, but. Tiana and I, for example, we want to make sure that the facts are out there first and whatever like opinionated spin we want to put on it, like then we, we do it in such a subtle way and not make that the emphasis of the issue. And I think that, unfortunately, it's one of those things that we just need to make sure that every news site, that every news source that we have is open about such biases and those that claim that they aren't biased when they truly are – should look themselves in the mirror and say, "We need to do better for ourselves because we're not helping." On the other side, I think individuals. We are in an age where technology is right at our is literally at our fingertips. We are, in, we are, we are. We as humans are programmed to learn, to gain information, to be more in the know. It's just in our brains. So of course, when everything, when the news is so tangible to us to go on the we go on the internet go on our smartphones check the news and see what's in the know especially because the rest of the population wants to be more well informed and we want to be able to seem we want to be seen amongst our peers that we're knowledgeable that we're and that we are with the times but but there, but the cost of that Is that when you're so immersed in so much information and you're reading all these fake news stories and when you're reading all this crap that isn't going to benefit the conversation or benefit discourse and dialogue, then you do need – I think individuals need to really assess how much information they're willing to take on. And then on top of that, how much of that information they're willing to project.
1: It'll be interesting to see moving forward, you know, with the influx of technology in the media and how people are just so inundated with information on a daily basis. If this draws more of a demand for even in high schools, like classes that teach students how to look at things with a discerning eye. Something like civics,
0: which we have gutted from the American curriculum.
1: Yeah, definitely. But I mean... It, it's tough because I would like to see these institutions hold themselves to a higher standard, but I think the lure of clickbait and money and views and everything else that comes along with it, it has just become too much, and so we're reaching a time where do facts really matter, or is it just opinion, and who can grab the viewer? Yeah, and I
0: think um, on this note... <laughs> On the note of facts and on the note of media, uh, there's there's one smaller story I think we just want to get to just real quickly. Um, so I don't know if you guys watch uh, Last Week Tonight with uh, John Oliver. He's quite funny some of the times and quite asinine other times. And this was an asinine moment. So he dedicated, what, a 25-minute segment to Mike Pence, how Mike Pence is the devil, blah, blah, blah. But that's not the issue. I mean, I think that's to be expected. No one watches John Oliver's show thinking he's going to present, like, a conservative opinion. It's fine. That's his, that's his opinion. However, he decided to wage war against Mike, Pence, Mike Pence's daughter's bunny, Marlon Bundo. So Mike Pence's daughter, Charlotte Pence, who is not Ivanka Trump, she's not a Chelsea Clinton, she's a completely apolitical figure, she lives out in Hollywood, she works in the industry um but she just created a children's book with her mother the second lady karen pence about just it's just about the day in the life of the vice president as seen through this their pet bunny all like most of the proceeds go to a human trafficking organization it's meant the book's meant for children it's just meant to be like informative and historical so john oliver decided to come up with a rival book about the same bunny falling in love with another male bunny and how there's an evil stink bug who looks suspiciously like Mike Pence who doesn't want two male bunnies to get married. I don't even agree with Mike Pence's policies on on gay marriage. But this is still rude, out of line, and waging war on a private civilian. I'm not waging war, and I don't want to use overblown rhetoric. But to me, this is so an instance of John Oliver just trying to get points with his base in... At the cost of just, what, like harassing like a 24-year-old who decided to make a children's book that's donated to sex trafficking charity? I know, completely asinine. Elliot, what do you think?
2: I think it was an example of John Oliver stepping in his own manure and then bathing in it. Because he got himself into a position where in the ire of going after the vice president, a public public official – which he has plenty of political disagreements with him about whether they're warranted or not this is another story. Decide, and then all of a sudden he decides to wage commercial warfare on his daughter, who is outside of the administration, is essentially a private human, a private person who wrote a children's book about the life of the vice president, just generally speaking, and decided to levy a nasty campaign against. Charlotte Pence for no other reason than for her being the daughter of Mike Pence. And I think in that circumstance That was one of the most Disgusting acts I've ever seen a quote-unquote comedian ever do I think that well,
1: when has it ever been a good luck to go after someone's daughter anyways? I just that was that could just have never have been a good idea to begin with And it looks bad on liberals, and I just think it's a bad look regardless of who you are. I
2: agree, 100%. Uh,
1: You can take whatever stance you want against a politician who actually has imposed legislation, but to take a stance against someone's daughter who is not even in politics whatsoever is just cruel. And I think, I mean, Sienna and I were talking about it before the show, about how... It it kind of goes along with the whole theme of what we've been talking about today in regards to the Stormy Daniels situation with Trump and how this doesn't really surprise people. It doesn't make people view less, less in Trump's favor because we knew he was this guy. And so I was to say that arguably liberals hate Pence as a person more than they hate Trump as a person. And so... I think that was kind of the angle that John Oliver was trying to play, but then go after Pence, don't go after his daughter, because now you just look like the awful person and that's that's never a good look.
2: Right. And I think that I think ultimately the same way that Joy Behar ended up need should have apologized publicly for her disparaging remarks against Christians, which were completely unfounded. I think that at some point John Oliver should probably look himself in the mirror, unless he breaks it because he's that he's that ugly. And realizes I made a I made a terrible mistake. I should have known better. I should be I should be I should act like an adult, and I should not go after somebody else's kid because I'm pretty sure. I don't know if John Oliver's married or has kids, but if someone went after his kids in retaliation for what he did with Pen with Pence, I am sure he would have been up in arms about it. But miraculously, both Charlotte. Charlotte's been very gracious about the entire thing and even actually helped out John Oliver with his own with his own book as well, which is, you know, that just exemplifies the class that Mike Pence has been known has been known to have because clear it's exuded her and his daughter. And I think there's yeah. an important lesson that you can gain out of that.
0: Yeah I mean like what a class act like she literally posted that she bought John Oliver's book I think the caption that she posted on her own personal Instagram and on Marlon Bundo's Instagram account because they both have Instagrams um, was how great is it that there are two bunny books that go to charity like she could be livid about this she could bitch about this she could moan about this but she's handling it like a champ. And it definitely, this reads as bad as every attack made against Malia Obama when she was just a private citizen with her friends and people were trying to get paparazzi photos of her. This is just as bad. I just can't believe that it's being done under the veneer of moral superiority from the left.
1: And again on primetime TV. Again
0: on primetime TV, yeah. I mean, (laughs) moral of the story, primetime sucks. Read a book (laughs) instead.
2: Agreed there.
0: Okay, so on that note, I guess that this would be a good time to cut it off. Uh, we definitely went overboard, but we don't mind because, Elliot, I love hearing you rant. I'm glad that this podcast inadvertently has an explicit rating because of the shithole storm from, like, uh, December. Because, you know, I, 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 this is too savage for the children. <laughs> well, that's why we don't post on Primetime. <laughs> it's why we don't post on Primetime. <laughs> um, Elliot, thank you so much for joining us.
2: There's not, not. There's not going to be much. There's not going to be much more of my commentary like this for a very long time. So get it while you can.
0: Good. Okay. Which means we definitely have to have you back on soon. Even though we are we are right now working with two time zones and Shabbat. So you know, I would say props to us for managing this. I'm really
2: thankful that you were accommodating to me, and I and I I really do enjoy talking to the, to the both of you. You're both fantastic human beings, and you exemplify both the conservative and liberal movements in such a great way. And the fact that there is bipartisanship happening right here and trying to understand where we're all coming from. That's the classical liberalism that we should embody in this country. And I think that you see that more on the individual level. You don't see that in the media and you don't see that you don't see that in Congress right now. And I think it's important that all of us, whether we agree or disagree, have the ability to talk things out and try to understand where we're all coming from.
0: Oh, Elliot, that was so sweet. Thank you so much. I love having, I, I love this. We'll definitely have you on soon, hopefully. Um, yeah, so if you guys don't already follow Elliot, Elliot, what's your Twitter handle?
2: It's at, at ElliotRHans, E-double-L-I-O-double-T-R-H-A-M-S.
0: Yes, by all means, please follow Elliot. He uh, writes excellent pieces for The Daily Wire, and his Twitter feed is uh, as clever as he is. Um,
1: on that note... Feel free to toss us the follow on SoundCloud or iTunes, as well as Twitter, at Tiana the First and at Avery Hogarth, and we will be back at you for our regular scheduled programming next Friday. Thank you, everyone.